Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hey, all. Hey, all. Paul Farvar here. I am sitting in for Patty Vasquez. So that's the voice you're hearing right now. I'm a comedian, former lawyer, and uh, enjoying my time here for you guys, trying to get my audio to work here. Uh, those of you who don't know me, I, uh, I'm a comedian based here in Chicago, um, friends of Patty's for gosh knows how long, and uh, I'm not just some idiot comedian. I actually have a background in law. I was a lawyer. We're going to talk to some lawyers tonight. We're going to talk to some comedians tonight. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about a lot of fun stuff. So if you want to call in, call in. I don't have the number handy. That's how prepared I am, Paul. Paul is helping me out. 773-763-9278. Call in, talk about stuff. We're going to maybe get some controversial controversial takes, but probably not. We're going to have some fun. We're going to have some serious, heavy conversations. Um, I have uh, Michael Stern, a former prosecutor, coming in later. Uh, I also have comedian, uh, comedian Connor Cawley, Chicago comedian who has a special coming out. Comedian Rena Calm also joins us, who's got a great show at Zany's next Monday, and uh, attorney Mike Al Karaki. Before we get into all that, obviously the news today is the Super Bowl. Um, I, like many of you, probably didn't have a dog in this fight uh, as a Bears fan and a Raiders fan. It was actually a little difficult to watch. Already. Paul, you're a Raiders fan. Oh, wow. We don't see those a Which, lot. Yeah. How hard was that watching Allegiant Stadium with uh, Chiefs <laughs> and 49ers all over that? Exactly. The only thing worse probably would have been the Denver Broncos well, somehow. You have Elway giving out the trophy. Which was crazy. Yeah. And then um, I guess the Chiefs used the Raiders practice facility yes. too. Which is a pain in the ass. I'm not anti-Chiefs. I actually like Patrick Mahomes. And I know a lot of Raiders fans hate the 49ers because it's Oakland, San Francisco. But for me, it was hard to watch. And as a Bears fan, same. There's nothing really there. Mike Na- Matt Nagy was the coach. He gets another Super Bowl ring without us. Fine. I kind of did enjoy. I was rooting for the Chiefs only for the fact that I knew a lot of MAGA nation was so worried about what was going to happen. And, and, and it wasn't even... A small portion of them. The fact that Donald Trump tweeted uh, right before to try to threaten Taylor Swift not to endorse Biden was even more funny for me. Uh, so I kind of wanted to see that play out and, and the fear in the eyes. I think for a MAGA fan, it would have been harder than a Raiders fan to watch that game, right? Because you have the Chiefs who are supposedly now, uh, because Kelsey is pro-vaccine uh, and Taylor uh secretly endorsed Biden uh, in 2020, so they hate them. But she also they also have to hate the 49ers, right? Because San Francisco is probably one of the most liberal cities in the country. So that brought me some joy, I suppose, as a, a non-MAGA fan. Um, but I watched the game, and I have to admit, um, I did not think about it. I like to watch games. I don't know about you, Paul, but for me... When I'm watching a game, especially if someone that I I put money on, if I gambled, I'm not saying I did or didn't, um, or it's a team I like, I want to watch it by myself. I don't like to go into bars and watch it because I want to pay attention. People are talking during the commercials, which is also part of a joy. 
And I didn't realize until about 10 minutes before the game that it was not free. So I had to sign up to Paramount to watch the game, uh, which is seven days free. And uh, I'll I'll decide after that if I'm going to stick with it. Um, But because of that, and I don't know if this is true, but I don't know if everyone saw the same commercials because I saw the list on USA Today and some of those commercials I didn't see that were the top commercials. There were a lot of great ones. Um, The Saravi commercial was awesome with Michael Sarah. I thought that was one of the best. I love the Mr. T one because I'm a fan of uh, Mr. T and his daughter, Erica Clark, is a friend of mine. Um, the uh, the ones with the, the, I forgot what it was called, the the cosmetic line where they brought in the members of Suits. I thought was clever and uh, great to see some workers that were out of, previously out of work now getting work because of the Revival of the show Suits, which as a former lawyer is kind of uh, frustrating to watch. Um, I thought the Kia commercial was great with the skating. I thought that was kind of moving to see the grandpa or assume the grandpa that they got to get a private performance. That was a, that touched, touched me a little bit. The anti, uh, defamation ones were great as well. I, um, we'll talk about that a little bit when we'll talk more about how, that's kind of driving a wedge in in friendships all over the country. Um, but the anti-Semitic ones, uh, the the choose love instead of hate, I thought those were pretty well done. Um, a lot of people complained about that. And the uh, He Knows Us Jesus campaign, uh, frustrated that all this money was spent, millions of dollars were spent for a commercial instead of doing real good. Uh, people would argue that. And a lot of people, I found out later that the, he gets us was funded by anti LGBT uh, entities. I don't know how accurate that is, but if you have information on that that's valid, give us a call. What's that number again, Paul? Seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. I'm going to keep doing that, so you have to pay attention <laughs> to what I say, Paul, when I'm when I'm rambling. Um, but I, I like that commercial, and I got into an argument with someone that the symbolism in it obviously is from the Bible, but also they gave a nod to they. You have to give credit to Mr. Rogers there. I feel like that was symbolic when he he uh, and his mailman washed feet. And as a Mr. Rogers fan, I thought that that was a huge thing. Uh, I Googled it to see if anyone else saw that. Apparently, I was the only one. But again, I'm probably the only person um, above 30 who has Mr. Rogers quotes on as tattoos on his body. So... <laughs> That's my take. And I like the outcome because the Chiefs beat the spread. Again, I'm not saying I, I gambled, but I think that was a good part of it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Pat Mahomes is great. And I, I actually was rooting for them a little bit too, Paul, because I hate Tom Brady. And as a Raiders fan, you understand. But that's our part owner pretty soon, though, yes. that you're talking about. Uh, 10% owner. Tom Brady announced yesterday that he will his group will have now 10% of the Raiders. And for those of you who don't know the history of the Raiders and Tom Brady, the Raiders created Tom Brady with the tuck rule in 2000, where the NFL um, basically assisted in having create Tom Brady and the dynasty that he later became, but essentially a tuck rule that was, if you watch that, I've watched that play thousands of times. I still don't get it. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist in any way, shape or form, but it is convenient that at the time Al Davis was suing the NFL and Tom Brady was coming off the bench 
whatever. And and the direction the two franchises went from that moment <laughs> exactly. on. Exactly. Changed the projection of the Raiders dynasty or soon to be Raiders dynasty and created uh, what was otherwise a systems quarterback in Tom Brady. <laughs> I'm not bitter. You're bitter. Have you ever seen where Brady admits to Woodson that it was a fumble? Oh, yeah. yeah. I saw the 30 for 30 on <laughs> yep, that. It's, yep. it's, it's insane how that is not giving enough. People aren't getting uh, enough credit to the Raiders for creating Tom Brady. Not to mention he's a cheater and uh, the deflate great gate system that happened thereafter. But we, but I digress. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of Tom Brady. He's my least favorite athlete of all sports, but he is one of the top five. I still put Joe Montana above him, even though I hate Joe Montana. Well, maybe there's a little uh, personal vendetta there. I don't know. As far as the um, anti-Semitism stuff that was uh, that the commercial, I thought that was great. I don't know if anyone saw it, but they had um, a... Uh, a swastika was painted on a, on a garage and the neighbor sees it and paints over it and it's creating like love thy neighbor symbolism, which I think was, was nice. I don't see how anyone could, uh, could, could complain about that. Um, but it's funny. I shared that on my Instagram and I got mixed reviews. It led to a lot of conversations about Israel and Palestine, which I know is a touchy subject. And we're going to talk about it tonight with some experts, uh, more experts than myself, although I'm no idiot to this as well. But I want to start, I want to create this backstory first by creating my background. I'm, I'm an Iranian half Baha'i, half Jew. Okay. So when you see me, especially when I have a beard, you can't tell that I uh, have a Jewish descent. I come off as Middle Eastern. I am Middle Eastern. I'm 100% Iranian. Um, years ago when I started comedy, my first joke was actually based on a true story where I was at a Cubs game and the guy next to me, well, the joke premise is essentially that once you have a connection with someone on your team, whether it's a Raiders like Paul and I just discovered or the Cubs, if you start to talk to a person for too long at a at a baseball game or a soccer game or whatever, you start realizing that, oh, you have nothing else in common with this person and you should just stick to one topic because it can get off the rails pretty quickly. And what happened to me, this is about 10 years ago, Theo Epstein took over the Cubs at the time, fellow uh, Cubs fan was sitting next to me, somehow realizes that I'm Middle Eastern and... Uh, Halfway through the game, uh, starts talking about Theo Epstein, who I believe is of Jewish descent, in a derogatory manner, thinking that because I'm Middle Eastern, it was okay to speak derogatory about the Jewish community. Um, and then the joke goes on, and it's relevant now because the punchline was about Toby Keith, who passed away last week. Rest in peace, Toby Keith. Um, but But it's funny because with all the... Hamas attacks, I'm sorry, the October 7th attack and the response by Israel, that's coming up again. And a lot of people, uh, again, not familiar with my background, want to talk about this and uh, and get my information or get my insights on this as a lawyer, as a Iranian. And, uh, and they often forget that I also have a Jewish background. But we need to take a break right now. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, give us a call if you want to Chime in on this conversation or the Super Bowls before we get into heavy conversations. Paul, what's that number again? 773-763-9278. All right. We'll be right back. 
Hey there, it's your guy, Warren Price, from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Hey, everybody. Paul Farvar here sitting in for the amazing Patty Vasquez. Uh, we were talking about the Super Bowl and the ads, and if you uh, want to talk about that, uh, you can call at 773-763-9278, and we'll talk about that with you or the ads, or if you have opinions about that stuff. Um before we get into that, um, I'm going to talk. Well, you know what? Let's let's take some. Are these any of these callers say what they want to talk about? Let's see what they want to talk about before we get into the heavier stuff. Uh, Jim, you're on the phone. Hey, Jim. Hi. Yeah, I checked the uh, presidential ads uh, this weekend, and they're eerily similar to uh, the 2020 election. In fact, that for that whole season, Trump was about an eight to five favorite to win. Biden was about a two and a half point. Maybe a little bit higher than that to win. So Trump was the favorite for the whole season. Anyway, yeah. the, the exception this time. The exception this time is, but uh, Trump didn't have ninety-one indictments. Trump didn't have an insurrection. Uh, the row, the row, uh, it hadn't been row hadn't been decided yet, and. Uh, and the only weakness that I can see that Biden has is his age. And when I look back at the, uh, the run-up to the when Biden got the uh, nomination, I think he, I believe, he was ten younger people than he was, and he won mm-hmm. going away. He won going away. Well, they, so, uh, they, but and that's the only thing they can run it because they can't run on the economy. The economy's going great guns. So I don't know where the only thing, the only weakness I can see Biden has is his age. But but Trump is the same age. So Trump would, if Trump won by some, uh, uh, whatever, if you want to bet him, he'd be 80 years old in a White House, celebrating his birthday in a White House. Mm-hmm. But I wager that he's in prison for his 80th birthday. That's what I would wager. Well, anyway, go ahead. No, no, it'll be interesting. And, and I agree with you. I think that, that they're about the same age. And I think the perception now uh, with Biden's age and his abilities is a little different. Um you know, as much as a non-fan of Trump that I, I'm not a fan of him, but he doesn't look his age as much as Biden does. And I feel like a lot of that's perception is reality. And the federal pro- the special prosecutor's report on Friday didn't do anything to assist the perception about Biden. Um, but did, did, wait a minute. Hold it. Did Jack Smith make any comments about Trump's uh, uh, did he have his marbles or not or what his uh, acuity was we didn't comment on that I don't hear Democratic lawyers uh, uh, sizing up uh, uh, the people understand their mental acuity I don't think they're first of all I don't think they're qualified to do it well, I think that the lawyer's a lawyer. I think, they're not qualified. To, they're not qualified. They have to get an expert witness to come in to testify to the person's military. They can't make it up in their own mind. Right. Not. I don't hear them. I don't hear Democrats 
Trump has been under, how many times has he been, he's in 91 indictments. Mm-hmm. He's already been, uh, talked about his document case. I didn't hear Jack Smith or anybody say anything about his been a, that he was too old or couldn't figure out what he was yeah. doing. They didn't even embellish those reports. This was a, this is just a Republican dirty trick. That's it, all it is. It was, it was. It's a cl- Republican trick. Yeah, it was clearly a hit job at the end, but no, I mean, Republican it, trick. That's all. But you, you heard the, I don't hear the Democrats saying that, that, that Trump was uh, was racker when he was the old in the documents. Did you? Well, not they didn't remind me much. When he raped the when he raped the woman when he raped the woman in the department store that he was off his racker that time. I didn't hear anything about his mental acuity. I don't know what that deal was, but apparently we don't want to talk about Trump's mental acuity. We and the point of it is, if he's not getting crazier by the minute, I don't know what is he. Might he doesn't look that. But to me, I, I don't know. I, I, to me, Biden looks like he could knock him out in two minutes. If they got into a fight, I'd bet Biden for every dime I have in my pocket. Biden, he'd have a heart attack, uh, Trump, if he had a throat punch. That's yeah. all I got to say. <laughs> have a good night. All right. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, I, I think that uh, there was definitely more information provided by. He was a Trump appointee, the special prosecutor. Um, but I think it isn't unusual for. Um, a lawyer to put their opinions first and then, you know, go on and on. I, I, I definitely think that Democrats don't do it as often as they can and should, but they definitely take jabs at Trump when they can. But I definitely, whether, whether it was a jab or not, the perception is that that hurts Biden. And, you know, people are, they're definitely Democrats do have a, a, a habit of uh, freaking out when something like that happens, and you'll hear people talking about replacing Biden um, in that regard. But um, it, speaking of the commercials, you were talking about Jim. Jim was talking about the commercials. There was the RFK commercial during the Super Bowl, which I thought was uh, where, like, out of nowhere. I did not expect to see that. And I, I mean, say so I'm not a fan of the guy, but he did a good job with that commercial in terms of people who didn't know about him probably went and watched whatever it is that he has to say. Um, so I think he apologized for it today somehow because he invoked his family and whatnot. But anyway, before I bring on our next guest, I do want to talk about what I was talking about before, which was the uh, the legality and the history of the Israel and uh, Palestinian conflict. Um, when I did post things of that nature about that me liking that commercial the commercial against anti-semitic uh the rise of it for what what a lot of people are saying um and also the commercials were great because they they generally were talking about anti-semitism anti-semitism but they also covered other hatred including hatred for muslims and 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 whatnot but the issue that comes up when people Reasonable minds come together to talk about this very, very complicated uh, situation. A lot of people have strong opinions. Uh, Some of those are raised in fact, and some of those are not. And uh, the history of Israel and the Palestinian war goes way back, and we're going to talk about that with someone who has some background in in, in international law and some personal connections as well, uh, conflicted a little bit like myself. But I do think that a lot of people are chiming in on this issue and, and, and have their opinions without really having the background or the information to address a lot of the issues. Uh, and um, it is a complicated issue. And uh, if someone disagrees with you, it was great because somebody 
was talking to me about the issue. And uh, when I took a position as a little pro-Israel uh, on one of the aspects, which was um, the response to the attack, uh, this person said I was against brown people. And I thought that was hilarious because I am identify as a brown person. And uh, it's, it's just crazy because a lot of people will speak about this on both sides of the issue where they don't realize that someone like me has a dog in, in, in the fight on both sides. You know, I have family uh, in Israel. I have family in Iran. I, I, I have friends. I have a comedian friend who is in Palestine, right in, in Gaza right now. So it's a complicated situation. And then it comes to the legal legality of the response, right? And a lot of people are attacking uh, the Israeli response. Uh, a lot of those people didn't have a strong opinion to the responses in the past by America to um, terrorist attacks. So there has to be some consistency there, in my opinion. And because I'm a little less versed on this issue than I used to be, again, in college years ago, at least seven years ago, let's just say, uh, although it's probably more closer to 20-something, um, this was my major, the Israel-Middle uh, Eastern uh, relationships. I did study this at great length. And uh, to talk about it more, you have to have a background in this information, uh, in the legalities of the response, whether it's genocide, whether it uh, was an unprovoked attack, things of those natures. And to talk about that more, I brought in my friend, uh, attorney Mike Al-Karaki. Hey, Mike. Hey, Paul. Thanks that was for a long, <laughs> long interest. Uh, Mike and I, uh, Mike, you are a lawyer here in Chicago. Correct. Been practicing law for... How long as a trial lawyer? Almost 20 years. We had a case against each other at one point, too, in, was, back in the days. Yep. Did you win or did I win? I don't remember. I believe it's settled. It's settled. No, most cases do. Yeah. Uh, Mike, get closer to the microphone so we can hear you. So, Mike, you, um, your last name, you're of, of Palestinian background? In part, among in part. other things. I'm among other things, too, but none of the other things seem to matter at all right now. <laughs> and... Uh, you and I were talking about this, and I know you recently did something uh, uh, covering international law in, in, in The Hague, correct? Well, I, I did. I certainly wasn't in The Hague. My, and, no. and just for, for just getting oriented, my, my practice is personal injury, and right. that is what I do. I'm not an international lawyer, and, it's, and I'm not a subject matter ex expert. However, I have been doing some stuff in that space recently Absolutely. related to Israel. Uh, Palestine and um, and more broadly about um, constitutional democracy for probably the last couple of years. I've been doing some programming through the CBA and other things associated with that with some true subject matter experts. Right. Yeah. And, and you have a show that you uh, developed for the Bar Association as well, right? That's correct. I just actually did a show on Friday of last week, which will air Thursday this week on Comcast Cable 25, which is the, the uh, public access uh, channel that Comcast provides for the city and for the Chicago Bar Association. And that was a one-on-one -on -one interview style, half an hour program with Professor Tom Ginsberg, 
who happens to be a Ph.D. also in addition to being a lawyer at U of C. He is a, uh, you know, among other things, because he wears a lot of hats, but he's, uh, he's a, uh, an international law and con law, comparative con law scholar. And he was wow. actually in The Hague on the day that the International Court of Justice handed down its its recent opinion, um, which is, this is a process, so this is early in a process. So, yeah. to, for, for background sake, people, uh, there was an action brought to determine or to sort of stop what was labeled as genocide in response to the attack on October 7th. Is that, is that right? Yes. So, South Africa <clears throat> filed a petition or an application, 88 pages about, um, in front of, uh, before the International Court of Justice in The Hague, um, accusing the state of Israel of genocide and requesting for uh, specific, what are called provisional measures mm-hmm. to be put in place. And we can talk a little bit about what yeah. that means, that process. Well, let's, let's hold that for the break. We'll talk about that a little bit. If you want to get in on the conversation as well, please give us a call at 773-763-9278. We'll be back after this commercial. Hi folks, I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. In your communities in Chicago. On WCPT 820. Paul Farvar here sitting in for the amazing Patty Vasquez. Driving It Home. We are talking about the complexity of the issue in Israel and Palestine. If you want to... Join in on that conversation, 773-763-9278. We're going to get a little heavy with this, and then we'll go back to lighter stuff like uh, Dr. Ken in the Super Bowl ad, perhaps. But joining me is attorney Mike Al-Karaki, who recently did a special show. He is a personal injury lawyer in Chicago, um, one of the best, in my opinion. And uh, he did a study about this recent petition by South Africa to kind of step in into the the conflict in Palestine, right? In general, sure. Okay. It's kind of like their standing is what – how would they have standing to bring something? So anyone who's a signatory to the – the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of of Genocide, which is the Genocide Convention. Genocide Convention. Okay. Can, can go ahead, can go ahead and, and has standing to go ahead and file an application for provisional measures. And that's and, what South Africa did. And so the, the determination and then there was a how is that how was that process go in terms of they come before the court? Is there a hearing or is it just oral argument? Are there oral arguments or it's just so all written? Procedurally, to make it really simple, you'll you'll know a little bit about this, but I'll make it even simpler. It's very simpler to what you might as a as a lawyer or former remember. lawyer remember as a um, like an injunction. So basically, right. here, let me take a step back because yeah. the context will help make it very simple. Absolutely, the Genocide Convention is part of the post-World War II human rights infrastructure put in place so that we can ensure that never again means never again. Right. 
right? And when was that? Do you know when? That was in 1948. Okay. Okay. So, so, so that's a 75-year anniversary of all our UN, wow. all of our UN infrastructure, right, our right. Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the International Court of Justice, the Geneva Convention, all this stuff that we just celebrated 75 years is so we don't do this stuff anymore. Right. <laughs> so South Africa comes and they say, here's 88 pages well-cited saying yeah. Israel is doing the stuff we're never supposed to do. Right. So they file that. They include their attachments just like you would in any other court filing. Mm-hmm. And then there's a presentation, sort of a preliminary hearing by South Africa, who I think Nicaragua actually recently uh, filed to join them. Other mm-hmm. states have expressed interest wow. and support. Many have. Um, and um, so South Africa puts on its case, which is a preliminary overview of the evidence. Okay. And then uh, Israel puts on its case. And then the International Court of Justice deliberates. And then, and then about a week and a half or two weeks ago, um, issued its uh, provisional order. So what, what that order is basically says... Um, hey, we've looked at all the evidence. There's an allegation that bad stuff is going on that is within the falls squarely within the Geneva Convention. So we are going to make a preliminary determination as to the general factual reliability of that. And if it looks like there's a problem, we're going to go ahead and institute some measures. And that was done. And what was their finding? So their their finding was that the the allegations and conduct complained of by South Africa could plausibly fall within the definition of, of genocide. genocide. Yes, that's important, that it's plausibly within the definition so they of haven't genocide. So they made a provisional order, which isn't final, but they have made a determination that it could possibly fall within the realms of what's considered international violation of international law on the basis of genocide. Yeah, correct? that it could be genocide is the easy way to put that. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Could be. Could yeah, be. So the reason sure. it's phrased that way, the reason it's they're not called upon to determine right now if it was, that's a longer process. Mm-hmm. Okay. But but the question is, do, is should does the should there be intervention? Be, and that's the and next the, question. And the answer is absolutely yes. Okay. There should be. And the order <clears throat> set forth a variety of <clears throat> what are called provisional measures, which are basically protective. Let's not bring hell on earth mm-hmm. is what the provisional measures are. And the ones that were ordered, a number of them, we don't have to go through everything, but it was, and this was 15 countries to two, 15 votes to two judges, basically on almost all of these. Uh, the, the, the judges, 15 said that it was possibly, and then two said it was not. Basically, right. that's an oversimplification because right. there are a variety okay. of counts. But basically, the 15, 15 judges were consistently on South Africa's side to um, Uganda and Israel's ad hoc. Israel's ad hoc actually joined the majority a lot sometimes. Oh, wow. Wow. But Uganda's didn't. It was quite interesting. But it was, yeah. almost, it was almost unanimous. Is this something, for, for people who don't know, and I don't know the answer to this, but how often are people bringing up allegations of genocide to the international courts? That's a good question. I would direct that to someone like okay. Ginsburg because he's someone who's really right. a subject matter expert. And I want to stay within what I sure. do know. Right, right, right. But, but I would like to kind of identify what the court said should happen. Sure. The what, actual what are they, order. What is the order? Stop killing members of the group. That means stop killing Palestinians. Palestinians. That's the order mm-hmm. from the world court. That's what we call the International Court of Justice, the world court. Stop causing that group, Palestinians, serious bodily harm, mental harm, deliberately inflicting on them conditions of life calculated to bring across, uh, bring about physical destruction. For example, cutting off food, food electricity, water, water, the necessities of life. 
um, and, uh, you know, destroying, you know, cultural infrastructure, whether it's hospitals, mosques, schools, you know, all kinds of institutions, museums, indicia right. of cultural heritage. So the court came down pretty, pretty clearly. Yeah. yeah, as they, you know, so yes. have they... So the, for me as a lawyer, and, and you're probably the same way, when somebody makes an allegation of genocide, right, I go to the definition, right? And that's when you ever are interpreting a statute as a lawyer, you go back and look at the actual definitions of what is, whether it's, you know, limitations, uh, violations, anything. And to me, the deliberate killing of an, a large number of people uh, from an ethnic group with the aim of destroying that nation or group. That's what genocide is defined as right. and illegally right. um, under international court and under Oxford D Dictionary. Can't the argument be made, and I don't know if this is completely just out of the realm of possibility, but the fact that if the Israelis can show that that's not their goal, that their goal is to destroy a terrorist organization and not an ethnic cleansing because part of that number of the people that were killed in the response to uh, the attack were Israelis. And some of them were actually um, members of Hamas. So where does you where does the line or is there a line in international law where they determine that it is not ethnic cleansing uh, or genocide of a of a race because the purpose is not to do that. In other words, that's part of the the war results. When Obama did his drone strikes, there were a lot of innocent lives that were killed of one ethnicity. How is that not considered genocide? Does that make sense? Or is I, that well? I understand the, the the question you're asking. Israel essentially made that argument, and oh, it they was did. Okay. thrown out. Okay. When I say thrown out, I mean it was not persuasive. Yeah. And here and, and here's why, as far as I can tell from not my opinion. I mean I have my own take sure, on it. Sure, of course. But, but um Israel made the argument, um, like they do in the press, that they're just pursuing Hamas. Mm -hmm. But the um, evidence indicates that the evidence not. indicates apparently otherwise. Mm -hmm. And the evidence in general terms is as such. The death toll is staggeringly disproportionate. I mean, you're looking at somewhere around 12,000 to 30,000. Right. Um, between, you know, Israelis that had passed from October 7th. Till you know, now, right. Till now, we're, we're talking about 30,000 yeah. Palestinians, 70% around there are women and children, about half of them children. So yeah. that's part of yeah, It's hard to hear that argument, right? It's hard to make that argument. Well, it's, it's part of like the, it's the argument that people make with any response to an attack, whether it's uh, even 9-11 or, or whatnot. There's always, there's always um, loss of life, innocent yeah. life. Here's and, the other, sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. Yeah, here's the other part that I think is probably as important as, as you know, you know, when we talk about an element of a legal case that we call mens rea or mental state. Intent. Intent. It's very difficult. You can't look inside someone's head. You have to glean their intention from the, uh, uh, all the evidence, right. the totality of the circumstances. So, you know, Israel made the argument that uh, their goal is to eliminate Hamas, not injure right. kill civilians. However, the facts tended to show otherwise clearly. And beyond that, um, South Africa included in its petition um, pages and pages of statements from the highest level of officials in Israel, from Netanyahu, the mm -hmm. prime minister, to the finance minister, 
to um, security minister. We're talking about Ben Gavir, Smotrich, even the president Herzog and all wow. of them going on and on, going on about how there's no distinction between militants, Palestinian militants and civilians, and that it's a whole nation. Herzog said it's a whole nation that's responsible you know, and we had right. obviously Gallant. Well, that shows intent. Well, in Gallant, IDF, these are the top. This is literally, literally, not figuratively, literally top brass. Gallant said they're of human the animals. the military for Israel, right. Yeah, so I think it's a tough argument. Yeah. You know, intent is often hard to prove unless the person you're accusing tells you what they wanted to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and the, and the, the flip side to that, which is often uh, an extreme position, is that when people say that the attack was provoked or unprovoked, right? October 7th, uh, people argue that that was not uh, unprovoked, that the actions of Israel and the IDF for years in Palestine provoked Hamas to respond. Is that something that's considered by the court when they determine that the response was um, um, above, above and beyond what was allowed under the the Geneva Conventions. So that's a question where I think it might be a little bit irresponsible for me to speculate about right. how the court would okay. maybe weigh the evidence. However, I'm very comfortable saying that in the court will always, all courts, all tribunals that want to understand a factual narrative will look to the factual context to see if the narrative dynamics are accurate and believable or not. And that analysis can be undertaken by anyone. You sure. might have an opinion. I might. Right, right, right. But this, the whole story matters. Right? And, and it does. And that's the thing that I guess frustrates me with all the situation is I think that time will tell. And, and it looks like it's already telling with the international laws uh, chiming in, international courts chiming in. But the history beyond be, of this whole crisis goes so far. And so when people, How far? <laughs> I mean, Israel, the creation of Israel, right? Well, 75 years. Right. 75 years. Yeah. That's so when, that's when we set in place all this human rights infrastructure that hopefully of, is still relevant. Right, right, right. And yeah. that's the irony of the whole situation. So people um, need to understand that, um, I think, before they weigh in on, on anything. And it's, and I, as a person of the law, I always like to see what are the arguments that are bringing forth to justify the reaction, justify the response, and um, and what, if anything, caused the action to happen in the first place? Mm-hmm. So those are things that people need to talk about and that people, reasonable people can disagree with. Uh, we need to take a break, but if you want to chime in, please give us a call at 773-763-9278. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Hello, this is not Patty Vasquez. Paul Farvar sitting in for the amazing Patty Vasquez, former lawyer turned comedian. And I'm here with uh, attorney, personal injury attorney, Michael Al-Karaki, who recently uh, did a program with uh, attorney Ph.D. Ginsburg, uh, who has a background in international law uh, and that Michael covered. Uh, we talked about the international court's response to Israel's response to the October 7th attack. And a lot of people have called in and want to talk. Uh, let's start with, uh, I think, Brian, you wanted to chime in on the conversation. Hi, Brian. Thanks for calling. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind, Brian? Uh, yeah, so a couple of things. I'm going to try to be quick so you can get those people too. But uh, 
as far as the history about the conflict goes, um, it actually even predates uh, uh, the creation of Israel. Uh, you know, back in World War One, uh, England was a little worried about the Ottoman Empire, so they did some double dealing uh, with the <laughs> inhabitants of what is now Palestine and uh, and uh, Zionists here in the U.S. Um, to try and they gave kind of promised both of them the same area in their colonial project there. Um, you can look up something called the Balfour Declaration right. um, that, that kind of puts this in play. Um, after that, there was a series of uh, violence, you know, disrupting the approach that nothing to do with settlers to the area. Um, but I mean, before that, they were living peacefully together with no problem. But you know, you start competing over the same uh, spot of land, you get into trouble there. So it definitely goes back a ways. Right. Um, now, as far as intent, I know normally, yeah, that is definitely a, um, a difficult thing to prove. Um, the only thing that kind of makes it difficult for Israel in this instance is that they've had, um, you know, high-level government officials on, you know, television you know, talking about uh, their intent. You know, normally they try to dress it up a little bit for, um, you know, American audiences. Um, you know, but they've talked about their plans for greater Israel, which even extends into uh, part of Iran, Syria. Um, they had a whole map of it they showed uh, their little press conference they did. And um, I can't remember, I think it was the defense minister, um, but or either him or Netanyahu had compared the uh, Palestinians to the, uh, their biblical rivals, the Amalek, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, is, um, was the uh, enemy of the Israelites that, you know, God had told them, you know, kill every man, woman, child, animal, all of them wipe them off the face of the planet, and when you when you're saying stuff like that, and, mm-hmm. and this message was received by the IDF, I mean they have that message loud and clear. Um, you know, it makes it very difficult to say that you're not trying to ethnically cleanse the area. Um, that combined with the destruction of critical infrastructure such as the hospital systems, um, I think they only have a couple of uh, working, barely functioning hospitals. Um, all the universities have been, or most of the universities have been bombed. Um, there's a cultural destruction aspect here right. that that fits that genocide narrative. So, yeah, I, I um, think, I'll, no, yeah. thanks, Brian, for calling. Yeah, I, I do think that the generals are not doing themselves any, and Netanyahu are not doing themselves any uh, services in international eyes, especially in international court, if and when they are ever brought to justice, for lack of a better word. Um, But in response to that, there's also, when you're talking about what they're saying, what Hamas is also saying is also similar to genocide, right? In the sense of uh, from the river to the sea, when they make that argument. You have to to spend some time on that. Okay. You have to spend some time on that, because that is one of the phrases that has been caught up up in the rhetoric war. Absolutely. And if you care about things like language and precision and meaning and the English language, um, then that is not where you land on that. Um, There's an innocent construction to that. I mean, innocent construction, meaning, 
Palestinians are not free. Mm-hmm. They're blockaded. They're under occupation. So, so the, some Palestinians will say that phrase, including Rashida Tlaib, who is uh, or Tlaib, who is um, oh right, she was actually censured for for using that, um, and um, that phrase, and uh, she has even discussed that um, that it's a phrase of uh, liberation. However, it could also be interpreted. It could be theoretically interpreted as calling for the elimination of, of Jews. It could be. Well, this, it's the state. It would be. This is a uh, it's not state. Ethnic, I'm sorry. It's right, political. Right. Right. So um, and that's important in this conversation. The well, right. There's there's a distinction that but this to was, finish the point. Yes. Yeah, no, no, no. You're right. That uh, it's uh, the state of Israel. Yeah. So. Um, People who want to get rid of language and censor speech will say, well, that calls for genocide. Mm-hmm. Even if some people saying it could very sincerely just want their own freedom. Right. So this thing of labeling phrases is this or that. The phrase means what it means and what the person says, you know, um, within reason. Right. So but a lot of phrases can have an innocent and a malicious right. construction. But they're being used uh, for those who do have anti-Semitic uh, views or beliefs. That that's, you know, especially if you go on what used to be called Twitter, that's what's being used now as the term for anti-Semitic um, rhetoric, right? It's also being used as a liberation. Cry. Right. So I don't know who gets to make that decision. You know, that's mm-hmm. so these are this is a language issue. You can ask who says it, what do they mean? But I'm not going to sit here and say right. it's a good or bad phrase. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's a divisive phase. Everyone a uh, phrase that everyone can agree. Political speech and meaningful political speech is often divisive. Device, right, divisive. Right, right. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I think we have more calls coming in. That This is a uh, great uh, Todd, I believe. Todd, you called in. Hey, Todd, thanks for joining us. The conversation. Todd? Hey, Paul. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm quite all right. Uh, aside from everything that's going on nowadays, I'm, I, I'm uh, fairly well. Uh, uh, you know, uh, this whole thing with, with the Israel-Palestinian thing, it, it, just, it just boggles my mind all the time, you know? And it's, I mean, we have to look into, into the history of, of what, Israel has done to Palestine and what Palestine has done to Israel, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, there, 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 there's two different uh, dimensions, you know. I mean, I, I remember in the early 90s, you know, I mean, you know, Netanyahu was, was bombing the hell out of those guys, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know indiscriminately, you know. Uh, just, just you know, just because of whatever reason he wanted to come up with, you know. And my... my, my 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 thoughts were, were this was that uh, I don't know that Netanyahu does not need to be a leader of Israel, but because the, the guy is you know he's a total right wing hack, yeah. and, and he just. I mean, he he just doesn't he doesn't fare well for for Israel, you know. I mean, I mean, who was the guy that was there before? Uh, uh, it was the the. The prime minister, I can't remember what his name was, uh, Bennett. Was it Bennett? Yeah, there was Rabin, there was Bennett, yeah. Yeah, Bennett, yeah. Oh, Bennett was trying to do a good job, you know? I mean, yeah. there, 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 was no pro- there was no problems, you know, there was, there was peace between that side and this side and everything, you know? 
you know, I mean, he wasn't, you know, trying to push any issues, you know. Well, I think but, that, uh, every time uh, every time Netanyahu gets in there, you know, it, it's like, oh, my God, you know, it's like oh, these guys are doing this and these guys are doing that. You know, it's like, well, it's bomb the hell out of them. I mean, I, mean, I, 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 I take it back uh, a, a pinch. All right. Yeah. No, Todd, I, I think that the political situation in Israel is similar to every country, right? The pendulum swings and the country yeah, is exactly. all pro-war now. Uh, but the, in his own country, he's very unpopular uh, before this, uh, before the attack. Uh, I reckon it to the same situation with uh, uh, George Bush Jr., where before 9-11, he was barely, people thought he wasn't a legitimate president, but then after, you know, everyone was all pro. You know, they it united yeah, yeah, the yeah, country. Yeah, 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 but was, was all about not, you know, yeah, right. yeah, all, everybody was all about you know, you know, defending nine eleven and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, oh, we're, we're, yeah, he's a pro. We're, we're gonna just we're, we're just gonna jump in the war with Iraq, even though mm-hmm. they had nothing to do with it. You know, right? And and he's he's definitely a very pro war. I mean, he. A lot of people in his country that support him are. I mean, I'd, I'd liken it to the to the MAGA movement in in America. I think it's very similar in terms yeah. of his warmongering uh, uh, yep. responses. But at the same time, uh, people in Israel they they would argue that they feel safer now. Who knows? I mean, that's the same thing. Well, people I, I, people I, I, in I, Iowa I, in America <laughs> feel safer. Uh, because of of Trump, and they think somehow immigration is going to affect them. But if you if you see yeah, all yeah, the people they're, leaving they're, leaving the polls in in uh, Iowa, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about immigration, how it affects them in Iowa. But uh, we need to take a break, Todd. Thank you for calling, Todd. Really appreciate you. And uh, and Mike, uh, thank you for for having for a very interesting conversation. Mike, where can people find out more about you and uh, and your law firm? We didn't get to ask. Legal, have people ask you legal advice, but that's all right. That's all right. What I really do is I'm an injury attorney. That's right. the focus. I do plaintiff's personal injury, medical malpractice. Go to Leahy Law L. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. All right. Patty Vasquez is not here. You're driving it home with Paul Farvar, good friend of Patty Vasquez, sitting in for her. She's taking a day off. Um, and to be clear, she took the day off before the Super Bowl. It has nothing to do with the Super Bowl. This has been scheduled for weeks. Um, I really want to thank Mike Al-Karaki for joining us. It was a very in-depth conversation. Uh, we've been friends for a long time. And uh, if you do need a lawyer, I highly recommend him uh, go to his law firm at Leahy Law and uh, do that. But we're going to go light now, and I'm going to bring up a friend of mine because I am, as in addition to being a former lawyer, I'm currently a comedian. And uh, this next guy who is here with us today is a friend of mine. We've been doing comedy for at least 10, 10 plus years is all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, favorite all over town. I feel like I'm bringing you up at a lot of comedy show now. It's hard not uh, to. Connor Colley, how are you, Connor? Good, Paul. Good to be in. Thanks for having me. Connor, uh, you and I started comedy years ago. I think you came after me. I think I started just before you. I think I was right after you. I remember you being pretty established. Or not, well, I don't rel- relatively established compared to me. I remember looking up to you, not down. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's nice to hear. I, uh, I, I think 
I had a, a successful open mic that I was running. That's what was yes. established at yeah. the time. <laughs> Two and a half Persians, if Two I remember. Two and a half Persians, yeah. Yep. That, uh, <laughs> no, it was at uh, Merkel's. At Merkel's, that's right. what it was. Yeah, not Shubas. And then uh, you had a show at a, at a, at a, what was the name of the place that you... The Weeds, the Weeds Open Mic. Weeds, and then there was another one oh, on Rat Lincoln. Pack. Yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 before that, on Lincoln Avenue. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> good stuff, yeah. yeah. That was one of the first I places that I closed a show. I headlined a show. You yes. gave me my first opportunity. I remember that. And now you run what everyone is concerning one of the greatest concepts in comedy you got in early it's called don't tell comedy Mm -hmm. uh started out in the west coast tell us a little about don't tell comedy first so it started out in uh, la uh the founder kyle was just kind of like oh there seems to be kind of like a lack of non-comedy club stuff to do like this in the two drink minimum just didn't seem very accessible at and don't tell is really big on accessibility for us. So the he kind of started with just like backyard shows, and they were like, "Oh wow, I'm selling these out hard. Like these are going going fast and getting." So I was like, "Oh, let's see if we can do this." And and the CEO naturally has big CEO brain, so his first thought was like, "I bet you this is expandable. I bet you we can right. run and, and try it out in San Francisco. It worked, gangbusters. Same situation ended up exploding in popularity, selling out almost immediately. And so then the like real idea kind of formed, and like let's start." going to other cities let's really turn this into a big thing so austin boston and chicago were the next round I thought of chicago cities. was the third one no it was or the well, so yeah, la la was first san francisco was second and then the, the third round was boston. Yeah, austin boston chicago oh wow okay um and, and how'd yes, you get involved with them i it was classic friend of a friend of a friend situation actually that rap hack show um we used to have that live guitarist who was one of my oldest friends uh his cousin came to a show a couple times thought it was really great and i've known them for years um and he happened to know the ceo kyle, kyle and yeah. he oh, was like great. who who's who's someone that runs great shows in chicago and he brought up my name and the rest, as they say, is history. That's great. And and I've done the shows, and they're always so fun. They're always in unique settings. Unlike, I, I mean, I love comedy clubs, obviously, but, like, you'll be at a comedy show. Sometimes it's in some random office building, yeah. right? And they're, they contact you or you contact them, and you it's guys a, work out a situation? It's a little bit of both. I mean, especially when we were first starting off, it was a lot of me, like, cold emailing places and just being like, we're doing these shows. Is this something you might be interested in? Kind of just reaching out a quantity over quality situation. I literally send like 50 a week. <laughs> oh, really? To, You're yeah, still looking for places? Not so. Now it's after six years, it, it really runs itself to a certain in that regard because we have so many people coming to shows. We do a call to action at the end of the show when everyone's drunk and had a great time and say, if you have a space, let us and know. Everyone comes up to us and we're like, I got an art gallery. I got it. I, feel I like love this. It's a, it's a great benefit. What's the downside for a business? Has, have you had complaints where like, oh, this wasn't good? Like, I mean, obviously things breaking, I guess, but yeah, we're, but we're fully insured. We broke. I remember in the first year or second year, maybe we did it at, um, a clothing kind of urban outfitter vibe, but like mm-hmm. a pop-up, I think it was called the silver room. I don't think it's there anymore. Um, this is pre-pandemic, obviously, and they have these big plexiglass cases, like covering their jewelry custom. I would later find out plexiglass cases, and I was haphazardly moving a chair oh, to you get some, and I uh, the chair. I kind of just nudged this plexiglass and just broke a hole oh, on the no. side of it and brought it up to the CEO. I was like, "Hey, I know we have insurance." He's like. We finally get to test it out. We get to see how good our insurance is, uh, and yeah, I got covered. Took care so, of it. Yeah, it's 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 a totally it's a, a corporate version of comedy that's 
pretty such a good idea great. yeah yeah and uh and i've i think i've sent people i always send people to you too that i think would be great because i used to be in that world when i was a lawyer i'm like oh like my clients i'm like i'll do your show i'm like and then i'll be i'll think of like three places i'm like this rem- i did the show on friday right and uh recently and then i looked at the space and i remember a space that I had to do legal stuff for. I was like, oh, this is, they should, this they is should this. talk. Yeah. And I think I said an intro to you for that. But um, yeah, those are such, it's such a great idea. And like you said, there's no two drink minimum and everyone seems to benefit. And and uh, I think one time I did it, it was at like a weight room. It was at yeah. a gym. Yeah, gyms are really big for us. We love doing gyms, especially in LA and San Francisco. That was, gyms were like the lifeblood. They would get going and you just got to convince yoga places that all those chairs aren't going to ruin the mats. That oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they, what's your return rate where they say we want to do it again? Almost always. It's yeah, really a matter if we want to. It's I, almost every time they're like, we would it's love for to you to come back. Yeah, exactly. It's, That's a great it's, position to be in. Yeah. And so now you produce all these shows. You're also doing comedy, which I produce shows sometimes too. I try not to, but I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. That's <laughs> unfortunately it's, burdened by talent. It's one of those things, right? Like when you're like good at something, it's like, you, do you have the situation? I don't know if you have the situation, but when you're at a comedy show now, are you, instead of preparing for your set, which you should be doing, are you looking around and be like, oh, this is what I would have done differently? Yeah. Oh, the lighting's the worst in here. I'm such a weird lighting guy now. <laughs> it's so weird. It's crazy and how many poorly you, lit shows there are. Do you volunteer that information or do you not stay it to people? If I w- it depends on, on the relationship. Some, yeah, I'm not going to go up to <laughs> somebody at Zany's and be like, you know. You should change your lights. It's a little warm in here, actually. <laughs> I, uh, I think it's so funny that, like, I... I think that I've, I've produced enough shows in the past because I used to produce shows in the music world before I did comedy. So I get that. And it's so funny. It's so hard for me not to say something. Yeah. But I'm always just trying to put a way to them to ask me so I can be like, be like what do oh, you think? What do you think of the lights? And then and then I'll tell them. And then I'll, I'm, I'm waiting for them to say, what do you think, Paul? I'm like, actually. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I definitely haven't been sitting here for the last. 45 minutes thinking about it instead of my jokes. Right. So you so you are producing shows, but now you finally get to do your first special, yes. which uh, you're filming this Saturday, February 17th at the Joinery, uh, 2533 West Holman in Wicker Park. Yes. How are you preparing for So for people that don't know, this is your first special, right? First special. Yeah. That's a rite of passage in the comedy world when you record a special. Some people do it too early, in my opinion. Some people do it too late. You waited what ten years now 10 to do more. it. More, I mean, yeah, eleven, that's twelve. That's about the right is, time, I think. Yeah, that's when I recorded my first one. Yeah, so. I was definitely in my stress mode about it, like a week or two ago. And a comic came up to me when we were we had just done a show, and she came up to me afterwards, and she was like, "I'm so glad it's finally someone that should have done it a long time ago." Right doing it rather than someone that has no business doing it and doing it. And I was like, that was a huge boost for me. I was like, oh, I kind of needed that. Like, oh, I am good enough. This, this is fine. I'm right. going to be, I'm going to knock this yeah, out. Yeah, you're part. ready. And and the thing for you, in my opinion, is people stress out about it. But And I know you're getting up a lot because I've seen you. And I and yeah. every time I have a spot, I'm like, oh, he's, tra- he's working on a special. So that's the great thing about the comedy world in Chicago. It's like we're all looking out for each other. As long as you're nice and you work hard, I'm always going to look out for someone. Yeah. But, like, you're ready. What do you – I mean, exactly. It's I saw all the like, jokes you're doing. The way I've been explaining it to people is, like, it feels like when I proposed to my wife, where it's like, if you've ever done that, you know, like, oh, like, 
in, in most scenarios, you're pretty sure they're going to say yes. <laughs> if you're doing it, hopefully you have a pretty good idea, 99% success rate in your head. So it's like, you know, they're going to say yes, but also it's such a big moment and you're so stressed about it. I also was sure she was going to say no. <laughs> really? Like, just in the moment, like, because she's not going to say no, but like just the stress of like, oh, like, this is definitely going to. So it's the same situation for this. Like, of course, it's going to be a great show. It's a bunch of people specifically coming to see me. I'm getting to do an extended time at a cool venue with all this energy of recording and all that stuff. But it's also definitely going to be the worst show I ever do in the history of my life. <laughs> in ways it is, but it's also going to be, I've recorded, yeah, it's definitely a, a stress the situation. Yeah. But you get two times at it. You get to record yeah. at 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. That's Saturday, February 17th at the Joinery, 2533 West Holman in Wicker Park. You've done, have you performed there before? Yeah, it's a really popular That's Don't good. Tell venue. We've done Don't Tells there a Excellent. bunch, and they love us so much. You were saying that they want to come back. They were. It's a wedding venue, and she was like, I'll give you I, I think a I've Saturday. Done it, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a Saturday at a wedding venue. I was like, that's too generous. I like, yeah, I was like, floated the idea, like, oh, if you can maybe pencil it. And she was like, yeah, we got Saturdays in February, no weddings, come on through. We'll, they, they just love it. They were like, we would that's absolutely great. love that. We would love to, love to do that for you. And uh, and uh, so what? And you've been promoting it. And are you you're worried about the numbers or not really? Uh, no, it's pretty good, pretty far. I'd say, especially the late show is is pretty rock solid. I would feel if we sell no more tickets, it would be good. You're the early fine. show, obviously, you know, it takes a little little Seven extra. But, but week of who's buying comedy show tickets? Well, get your tickets uh, to the joinery to see Connor Colley at. The joinery, February 17th, which is a great day, by the way. Um, Michael Jordan's birthday. Yeah, and my birthday. No oh, that's right. <laughs> and my birthday is the <laughs> following the next day. day. Yeah. That's, yeah, so many Aquarius comedians in Chicago. Uh, that's true. <laughs> Too many, in my opinion. Uh, Connor, what is, the, what is the biggest thing you're worried about for the show? I'm just going to tell you to, to not worry about it. So what is Oh, the- sweating. I'm a real sweaty guy. And I've, obviously, comedians, you know, we're doing a lot of, like, 10-minute sets and I never really get sweaty with that 30 minutes. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not out of shape, but I'm certainly not in shape. And I'm also just kind of sweaty. I literally, so I literally bought like a towel I can keep in my pocket. What about I, like, uh, do you have like a fan that they could put on you? I, so they, they, have, my... they have AC yeah, connecting. So I'm thinking I'm just going to make it's winter. Everyone's going to come with a jacket. I guess it'll be weird if everyone in the audience is in their winter coats. Doesn't but matter. It's not if I, my head's not. And because we're doing two shows, if I'm inconsistently sweaty. It's fine. I feel like it's going to be hard to edit together. They're not. It's not because uh, no one notices except you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I'm bald. So like you, the bee. You really see the beads pretty fast. Yeah, but they'll, they, they'll assume you wipe it well, off. I say, they or also pointed out like I have a very monochrome head, so it'd be easy to Photoshop. They can close up and, and pull out. Oh, there. there you go. Ooh. We're going to take a break right now. Connor, can you stick around for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Connor Colley, make sure you see him Saturday, February 17th at the Joiner. He's recording a special at 7 and 9 p.m. There are tickets still available for the 7 p.m. and a little left for the 9 p.m. Go to his website, Connor Colley, C-O-N-O-R-C-A-W-L-E. EY.com for tickets. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Buy yours at Beer on Central in Evanston, D&D Finer Foods in Evanston, Rogers Park Provisions, Provisions Uptown, and Beer Shop Oak part must be 21 please drink responsibly you're listening to driving it home with patty basket on wcpt 820 
Hello, everybody. Welcome to WCPT Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. Patty Vasquez is not here. I am Paul Farvar. I am sitting in for her. Fellow comedian, you can catch me at paulfcomedy.com for my upcoming dates. I'm actually performing, uh, headlining at Zany's on April 2nd, Tuesday, April 2nd. So if you want to come see me, paulfcomedy.com. And I also have a show at Laugh Factory Stand Ups Sit Down, February 26th. If you want free tickets to that show, it's where we interview comedians after their sets at the Laugh Factory Stand Up Sit Down, Monday, February 26th. You can just hit me up and uh, email me. Or go to my Instagram. If you follow me on Instagram, I'll give you two free tickets. I have 17 tickets left for that show. Um, at Paul Farvar, common spelling, P-A-U-L-F-A-R-A-H-V-A-R. And I have a new uh, podcast called Why Are You Awake? Where I talk to people who are up late at night. Check that out on YouTube and anywhere you podcast. But I'm here with comedian Connor Colley. Connor has his Recording, special recording, Saturday, February 17th at the Joinery, 2533 West Homer Wicker Park in Wicker Park, 7 to 9 p.m. Connor, how long are you going to, how long are you going to do? I'm thinking playing like the 35, 40 range. Hell yeah. Keep it easy. Don't want to be up there too long. My shoes don't have good support, so. <laughs> You're going to be fine. You, I've seen your sets. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Who do you have working with you those nights? I got Erickson uh, Dockery hosting, my okay. fellow Don't Tell producer, and uh, Sonal Agarwal. Oh, yeah. going to be I'll featuring. Be who I love her to death and just very similar energy. I feel like kind of crowd worky, stream of consciousness, just fun, high energy gal. Are you? Uh, do you have a set list written out for you, or do you just? Go? I got a. I got a notes on my phone. I'm going to try to avoid. I think I got it memorized. It's all Tape like it on the ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did do. I ran it uh, in Aurora at Two Brothers uh, last week, and I yeah. had it had a had it in my pocket, and I told the audience to boo me every time I took it out, so that I would. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> get, get that's a good idea. Like, I don't want to do it, and then yeah, they so, took it too seriously. So when I, <laughs> when I recorded it, uh, when I recorded mine last the last one i recorded i had a cheat sheet on the stool Ooh. right next to my drink and i, I just put the words oh. to just rem- make sure yeah. i didn't miss anything but i was in a different situation where i had to record um multiple i had, to re- I had three shots to record it um but I had to do different jokes because I had a shorter oh. set because I was doing an hour. And so uh, I had to make sure I did certain jokes. So I was like, oh, that's stressful. Yeah. So I was waiting for an applause break and sometimes it didn't come. <laughs> and then I'd be like, oh, I got to shoehorn this joke right here. <laughs> but um, yeah, they just they just sent me uh, the final work and I have to come up with a title. Do you have a title for yours? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly Harmless. Okay. It's a line from one of the jokes I do, but it's also the name of one of the books for my favorite series, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I was That's like, cool. oh, I can kind of mix this in, make it, make it twice. So, I'm not worried about SEO. I, yeah, I got <laughs> to come up with a name. And it's, it's, it's the idea that I had, they cut that joke from the special where I, because I, I filmed in Philadelphia and I said, born in, born in Philadelphia and they all clap it, but I was raised in Chicago. So I wanted it to be born in Philly, but then they cut that joke from the special. Oh, I'm like, yeah. well, no, that's not going to work. Can't leave that in there. <laughs> and then I have another one because I, I kind of uh, poop on Arkansas a lot. So it's going to be like only in Arkansas. But then I'm like, well, I guess I'll never perform in Arkansas. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I have, I'm between that and then, you know, my other special, uh, they, 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like the the name of that one. So the name is allegedly important, although yeah. no one ever remembers. That's I can't imagine because I was I saw Joe. I didn't even think about like the search engine optimization thing until Joe Kilgallen just released his, and he had to change the name because like oh really like at the last second because something like a movie came out or, or something oh, where he was like yeah. worried about it getting discovered or something. So we completely interesting. changed it like the day it came out or something. I was like, oh, or, or I, I guess I don't know when he changed it, but. I think harmless. Uh, I think that's fine. I say, no, who's looking for the fifth book in the yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on Google? <laughs> I don't think anyone Nor knows is anyone, that. yeah, going to be searching for my name with that rather for any reason. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think people are going to know that. Yeah. Um, are you, uh, and you've been going up every night to prepare? Are you having a show tonight? Yeah, yeah. I've been going every night. I did when I didn't go last night. Super Bowl. That's, oh, that's, yeah. that's a national. There was a show me, last so night. I heard. I, yeah, there were. I didn't. I didn't do any. Of them. I wonder how they went because I was thinking about it. I was like, those shows could not have been. Good. I can't imagine. I mean, there's people that don't care about the care at all. I don't know if those are the best comedy audiences. <laughs> I don't know what the, something's the not diagram right. is on that one. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, but otherwise, that other than that, yeah, I did this weekend. I did five oh, yeah, on Friday and Saturday, fun. which were great. And then I've got. Uh, I'm headlining House of Blues uh, Thursday. on Thursday. Yeah, that'll be fun. And then I'm doing two on Friday. So that feels good. I'll think that's I, I'm feeling good. That especially doing five this weekend felt really good. Like that kind of got me out of any funk and kind of got the confidence back yeah. up. Found my outfit too. That's important. And that and I got a bunch of compliments going. I was like, oh man, I'm just. I think I'm gonna be too confident. I think I'm gonna reel it back. <laughs> I gotta go bomb in some open mics. <laughs> well, you have two shows, so you have two opportunities to to go through it to and really think, eat it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it'll be no, fine. Yeah. You know what you end up doing, and the, and same thing with mine is they end up doing most of it from one, and then they'll. There's a couple parts you might do. Spice in the rest. Spice yeah. in the rest. Yeah, spice it in. Um, the special is on Saturday, February 17th at the Joinery in Wicker Park. You can get tickets. Where can people get tickets? Just on my website. There's a nice little easy special link, connorcawley.com, C-O-N-O-R-C-A-W-L-E-Y.com. And you can check it right there, nice and easy. Or you can search through Eventbrite to find them if you want. That's another thing you can do. That's what I tell but people now. It's, like it's on there. Just search my name. You'll figure it out. Um, and where can people find out more about you and your upcoming shows? Uh, my website's got a bunch of uh, updated calendars and lists and stuff. Um, but otherwise, just come to a Don't Tell Chicago. I'm hosting a bunch of those. I'm on there. I'll be there. So uh, You guys do those every Friday, Saturday, right? Every Friday, Saturday now. Yeah, you very consistent. Yeah. I know. we got to branch out. The Thursday one is... Got to do was, it. Yeah, I agree. I'd or at like least to get once to, a month. Yeah, to get it every every day is the is, I would love that. I mean, they have it every day in certain cities, right? Or no? no, not every day. Columbus is the one where it's got the most. Where they do every Thursday and they do two Friday, two Saturday. Okay, they're the big ones. Uh, L.A. on big weekends will do Thursday to Sunday. Hmm. They haven't branched out that much to the early Florida parts of the does week. Thursday. I know yeah. that because I did the Florida one. Yeah. And Nashville, I think, does a Thursday. They'll do it occasionally, yeah. yeah. I think most of the company is open to Thursdays because it's hard to get some venues on board to, <sighs> to give up a weekend. I want you guys to do Thursdays so bad. <laughs> I like weekday shows because yeah. I'm usually not available on the weekends. True. And then when I do, I try to double up, and, and that's just complicated. So yeah. it's hard to get people to do that. Um, Connor, before you go, I want to ask you this. Uh, I know you didn't want to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up. Oh, yeah. You're a tech publish. You do tech publications. Uh, you're a tech guy. Tech guy. Tech writer. Yep. For... And uh, you have an Android phone. I do. So you know that most people use Apple phones in this country. Yeah. Oh, what country? In all other countries, it's it's like thirty seventy really in, in the in the world. Yeah. So what? Why? What's your explanation for that? 
Well, I've always just, I've never been a big Apple guy in general. I was just, that kind of bugged me. It's always a little behind. It just didn't seem, I mean, the stuff that Androids have is always like well ahead of Apple pretty consistently. So I think the first one for me was widgets. <laughs> Does your family use Apple? Every single member of my family. Okay, so here's where I, Apple. So here's where I think that you have. Uh, this is where my friends who are Android guys right. have problems because you are married with with child. True, and so sending pictures. Yeah. How do you so, do that? So that's going to be fixed soon, which is nice. What, what do you mean? There, Apple is finally it was was just like the the charging thing. They use forcing them to switch over to RSC so that they can that it's more secure. Pictures, I think they said sometime this year, their Apple's going to switch not switch over, but make it so that that it's better. Okay, that it's not just SMS anymore. And yeah, because the EU forced them to again. Wow. <laughs> Apple kick, dragged kicking and screaming into the future. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I was anti Apple for years. And then right. in 2012, I switched over. And now I'm like, it's just so comfort. And now I've gotten my family who was all Android to go to Apple too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's personal. My friend group is all Android except for one guy. And, he, and we're like, come on, switch. It's, really? it's all, yeah, it's all group dependent. Yeah. Because we're all tech guys. We all know. I don't know, like I, they're they're objectively better phones well, by most <sighs> by most metrics. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, just in terms of like integrate, like think about you like just lost you seven got, people yeah, that are going to come to your show. Refund, where are all like, these refunds coming through on my website? <laughs> like, how dare you? I have stock in Apple. <laughs> stock in Apple. Um, all right. Well, Connor. Uh, we disagree. We can agree to disagree on that. Hey, that's the beauty of this country. Uh, Connor, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for doing what you do for comedy. Don't tell comedy in Chicago is such a great thing. And if you want to support comedy, you want to support Connor, go check him out this Saturday, February 17th, at the Joinery in Wicker Park. Get your tickets at Eventbrite or at ConnorColley.com. Thanks, Connor, so much thank for you, joining us. And we'll be right back after this commercial. Hey there, it's your guy, Warren Price, from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are driving it home with Paul Farvar. Patty Vasquez has the night off tonight. I am comedian Paul Farvar, former lawyer. PaulFComedy.com has all my upcoming dates. If you like me, follow me on Instagram. I've got a show at Stand Up Sit Downs at Laugh Factory, February 26th, Monday. If you follow me on Instagram, I'll give you free tickets to that show. And I'm also headlining Zanies on April 2nd. Please check that out. And my new podcast, Why Are You Awake?, where I talk to people who are up late at night, maybe like you. But I was a former lawyer, and uh, we do have a legal theme here tonight. And to continue that theme, we have uh, a guest with us, uh, attorney, former prosecutor, uh, Michael Stern. Michael, are you there? I'm here, Paul. And, and let me just say this. You're never a former lawyer. Once you're a lawyer, 
You're branded with a capital L for the rest of your life. I am. And and it's funny because I feel like as soon as someone finds out I'm a lawyer, I'm answering 80 questions that have nothing to do with the comedy show I just did. So I feel your pain. Yeah, you know, uh, that's, they're going to be asking you for advice on their taxes and then advice on their divorce and, <laughs> you know, the speeding ticket. Yeah, I get that too. The most that I get, honestly, is landlord-tenant stuff. I feel like my group of... Uh, Hoodlum friends are all either mostly tenants, but some landlords. That's the question. So, mm. <laughs> do you have any expertise in landlord tenant? None or whatsoever. Just, uh, Zero. Yeah, it's sort of like asking a cardiologist to <laughs> explain the foot to you. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say none. I, I did have a little expertise. I did have by expertise. I had four or five cases. I was a civil litigator. I did Section mm. nineteen eighty three law, which is uh, when. Uh, um, municipalities got sued. I handled that stuff. Um, that being said, you are a federal prosecutor. So the questions that I get now uh, that are not personal all have to deal with a former um, president that is often in the news. Today is I know no who different. you're talking about. So today, uh, former President Trump uh, appealed to the Supreme Court, even though... Yeah. Uh, the D.C. appeals court wrote a 57-page opinion, scathing opinion, yeah. some would say. Uh, and one of one of those judges was also a very conservative judge, yeah. and it was a unanimous opinion. So that sort of tells you the legitimacy of his immunity claim. The right. claim is that he can't be prosecuted for things that he did while he was president. Yes, and and. Uh, so the the question I have for you, the first question I have is, is that because of the fact that it was such a it was a unanimous decision, he did he still has the option to do en banc or no? Yep. Oh, he does. Okay. He does have the option to go en banc, but what the what the circuit court said, what the three judges said was, if you go, you should first go to the Supreme Court, and if you go en banc, it's not going to serve to divest the lower court of the ability to proceed with your case. And so they sort of foreclosed the opportunity for him to go en banc, which is going to the full circuit court, the right. full court of appeals first, which can be a very time-consuming process. Um, and so there's not a big advantage to him to do that, at least at the moment, because the the three-judge panel told him to go to the Supreme Court first, but ultimately he can go en banc if he wants. So he can try and do both. Um, but it, it, but going on mock, if the Supreme Court refuses his stay, which is just legalese for his delay, um, is not going to stop the case from going back to the district court and, and proceeding. But if that's the goal of just delaying, why wouldn't he do the end bonk first? Is there any is there because the, Go ahead, the three judge panel told him he couldn't. OK, I see. So yeah. in, in yeah. other words, three judge panel said go to the Supreme Court. So. What's your opinion now? I mean, I think it's clear that they I don't think the Supreme Court is going to side with him on this issue. Um, Do you see a chance of that happening? Uh, He appointed a third of the court, so there's always a chance. But no, I I don't think that even in the sort of bought and sold state Mm -hmm. that 
the three justices that he appointed are living in, I don't see them siding with him on this. Otherwise, I mean, you know, that would mean if, if every president has immunity for those criminal acts that they commit during the course of their presidency, I mean, Biden could basically order a SWAT team to go, you know, assassinate Trump and then not be held accountable for it. You know, Biden could yeah. order the National Guard to stop, you know, a lot of people listening right now were just yeah. dreaming of that. Yeah. OK, sorry. <laughs> a lot of people when yeah. you said that just dreamed that, that in their head. But go ahead. I'm not going to disabuse them <laughs> of that fantasy because I understand it. Um, but no, that would be a bad thing. I think um, that- but the idea is that it is so outrageous, you know, that a, a president would be able to commit crimes and then be able to say, well, I was the president. I can do whatever I want. It's more like a king. And so I don't think that the Supreme Court would side with him substantively. I mean, in, if they had to make a decision based on the law and the facts. But my feeling is that they're probably going to try and avoid making a decision. I don't know I that that so is the. Yeah, I don't think that's the consensus among a lot of legal experts. That, but that is my feeling. They legally, they're not really pressed to make a decision until and if he's convicted. So if Trump, if they say we're not going to make a decision about whether or not a president has immunity for crimes he commits in, in the presidency and Trump goes to trial and he's not convicted, he's acquitted, they never have to grapple with a really thorny issue. They get to avoid the issue in its entirety. Mm -hmm. So my guess, my my belief is that they will probably take that opportunity and not make a decision and only grapple with the substance of that issue if Trump happens to be convicted of the crimes. But the biggest thing, I guess, for... If you're, if the goal is to delay, which I believe everyone knows at this point, I think they've televised that yeah. or telegraphed that. Um, even if the Supreme Court, I mean, you said a third of, like you said, a third of them are his appointees. Wouldn't they just help him by just waiting, <laughs> waiting to to issue uh, whatever it is that they're going to issue? Or do they? Do you think that they feel that there is a reason to kind of just? throw this back to the to the uh, appellate court and also the district court? I don't think they're going to want to look complicit. So I think okay. that if there are enough votes, I don't think they want to look complicit in, you know, in helping Trump in such an explicit way. So I think if there are enough votes in order for them to take the case and grant certiorari, which is the way the Supreme Court right. decides it's going to take a case and make a decision on the, on the merits, I think that they're going to do that in reasonably quick time. I, but instead, as we've discussed, I think that they're probably not going to want to deal with that, you know, thorny basket of bramble. And they're probably going to ultimately, in, in fairly quick time, deny the stay. Again, you know, it's anyone's guess when you have essentially... Right bought and sold three justices on the court who have appeared to be willing to do a lot of different things in order to, um, you know, get on the court. I mean, you know, they all said that Roe versus Wade was settled law and that they would respect it, but Roe versus Wade is no longer the law of the land because they voted against it. So it, it, it's, it's a crapshoot with these justices. Well, my dear friend, Amy Comey Bryant, uh, who I argued in front of an en banc hearing in the Seventh Circuit once, ruled in my favor. So how dare you speak of her as such way? I, I dare. <laughs> and you know what? Push me again and I'll say another thing about Amy she, yeah. yeah, well, she didn't really provide any help. But uh, what I was going to say is what are some clues that people can look for to see 
whether this will actually be heard before the uh, election, or do we also have to worry about the fact that this falls within the time frame of the election where they say, well, we can't decide it because it's too close? Or do you think we've already passed well, that? No, no, no. We haven't passed that because typically it's it's either sixty or thirty days out, depending on um, you know depending on the nuanced detail of DOJ policy. But it isn't a law. People have to understand that that this is just a practice of DOJ. DOJ, the Department of Justice, typically does not want to put its thumb. I say this after Bill Barr was the US, <laughs> was the Attorney General, right. so I, you know I, I feel sort of silly saying it because you know Bill Barr basically jumped on the scales of justice in Trump's favor and stomped up and down and, until you know unfairness helped him him win the day. Um, but you know the cooler minds and the civil servants who are long term representatives of the Department of Justice don't want to influence an election that's just about to take place. So normally it's 60 days out, but, you know, that's not until November. So there's plenty of time. Number one. Number two, it isn't a law. So, for instance, if his trial is underway and, you know, it goes into the 58th or 59th day, I do not see DOJ saying, no, we're going to stop the trial until the election is over. I just don't see that. And the other thing is, remember, you know, they've done everything that they need to do prior, way, way, way prior to the election. I mean, he's been indicted, you know, so the general evidence and the allegations against him are already out long before, you know, the 60-day cutoff line. And now all that needs to take place really is the trial. That's interesting. I, I I still feel like with all the delays there that we're gonna. It's, I, I just I'm I'm I hope you're right, and I hope that uh, there is a trial before the election. But somehow I feel like something's going to fall apart on this. And, and well, no, no, don't misunderstand me. I don't know that there's going to be a trial before the election. I just don't think the Justice Department is going to say we're too close to the election. We're going to start a trial. I do think that you know Trump is going to continue with his attorneys to juggle you know, as many options as can and hope, you know, that at some point some strand spaghetti that he throws against the wall will stick that will result in delay things. Now the the judge in the in the um Washington case, in the D C case, is is really pushing to move things along right. quickly. I noticed that. And the only reason that she hasn't been able to is because, you know, she was divested of jurisdiction when it went to the Court of Appeals. But my guess is if the Supreme Court doesn't grant the stay, that it's going to go back to her and she's going to try and continue to push along. Currently scheduled for trial in March. I don't think that that will happen, but no. it wouldn't surprise me. Um, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if the trial takes place before the election. I think it's a completely different story with his Florida yeah. indictment because that judge, you know, is basically uh, acting as a defense attorney for Donald Trump. He was she was appointed by Donald Trump after, um, you know, he, she was actually appointed to the bench after he had lost the election. Right. So she owes him a lot. I mean, she's got a lifetime job as a federal judge due to Donald Trump, and frankly, she's paying him back at every given turn. Absolutely. It's so sad, unfortunately. And well, let me just say this. There's one more thing ahead. that I think is important. Remember, the reason, aside from the fact that Democrats and people who want justice in general are pushing so hard to get the trial done, aside from the fact prior to the election is that you know people should know whether or not the person that they're voting for, for president, is, is going to be a convicted felon. Most importantly, I think everyone who knows how the criminal justice system works knows that if President 
former President Trump becomes current President Trump, he'll use his power with the Department of Justice and the Attorney General that he appoints to, to in all likelihood, dismiss the charges against him. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, it's outrageous to think that a president would use his power as president to help himself grotesque in this personal way. But Trump did it over and over and over again during his prior presidency. Right. So that's the real fear, I think, that everyone has. As a prosecutor, a former prosecutor, that's the fear that I have. I could just see, you know, Trump winning the presidency, God forbid, mm -hmm. knock on wood, you know, say a little prayer that that doesn't happen. <laughs> but if he does, I am very confident that he would use his power as president through the attorney general to dismiss the cases against him. Uh, I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. Let's and I also pray that that doesn't happen. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Where can uh, people find out more about you and your uh, your thoughts and your your uh, publications? So I used to be predominantly on Twitter, now X, but I I, I cannot stand what has happened to it and yeah. Elon Musk, and so I'm now predominantly on Threads and my. My profile is Michael J. Stern, the number one. Thank you so much, Michael, for your uh, thoughts. We're going to probably talk to you again very soon, if and when things move upon in the Supreme Court. Thank you so much, Michael. My pleasure. We got to take a break right now. Thank you so much. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Uh, actually, you know you are not. You are listening to Driving at Home with Patty Vasquez featuring Paul Farber. This week I'm sitting in for Patty, uh, and it's been such a pleasure to have all you guys listening to me. Uh, makes me feel like a hug from my dad. <laughs> That's the voice you're hearing a laugh of one of my closest friends. Uh, we started comedy literally minutes apart, minutes apart. My first comedy show was at her show. Uh, famed comedian originally from Chicago, or at least spent time in Chicago. I don't know. She travels so much. I'm from parts unknown. Well, Boston area. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> she is headlining Zanies in Chicago Monday, February 19th. But today, you get to hear from Arena Calm. Hello. How are you, Arena? I'm really good. Good to see you, Paul. Uh, look at us. Huh? Look at us here. Huh? I mean, you can't. We made this it. is the radio, but I'm No, they can. There's oh. places they can see us. Oh, hello. Shout out to all Crap. the people in the Heartland, <laughs> USA. Um, hello. Rena, you are... You have a you're a, a book writer, a published author. That's true. Once upon a time, yes. you're a pun wordsmith. It's a real pandemonium. Uh, oh dear. <laughs> I some people go for like the sound of like a room laughing, and I go for more of like a groan chorus. <laughs> you know, so I do. I'll classify a lot of that book as like um, dad jokes my father doesn't care for. Uh, okay. So <laughs> and you laughed at me when I made a dad comment. That's fine. Yeah, that's uh, okay. We have fun. Rena Calm, you can get her book Once Upon a Time at Amazon. You also, we were talking to another fellow comedian, Connor Colley, yeah. earlier. He's recording his first special. You already recorded yours. I did. Yeah. Calmity. Connor's great. Yeah. Calmity. R Rena Calm. Get it, guys? C-A-L-M. Calmity. Keep calm and keep laughing. And Rena, Rena said that, uh, not to bring that up because she said I couldn't handle that. No. Uh, well, you did call me an Arthur instead of an author, but I wasn't <laughs> going to really? let it go. Artist, yeah. Artist yeah, exactly. and author. I always say yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, that's called gaslighting. <laughs> 
No, yeah, uh, I know you could handle it, but sometimes because I will tell you the name of my next album, which this uh, hour I'm working on is going to be. Wait, can you say it or is it has it got swears in it? I can. Okay, oh, go come on. on. Uh, it's called beep 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 beep. Uh, beep beep Paul. Beep 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 beep. Okay, uh, you. Okay. Anyway, um, no. Uh, has the first album is comedy. The next album is going to be Renaissance. Oh, oh yeah. play on names. Yeah, nobody's ever done anything called similar, anything like that. That's like you know a huge celebrity. And uh. <laughs> are you are you good at coming up with names for things? Because I need a name for my special, actually, so we can talk after that. Yeah, but, like, I can't... I don't know something about you. I think it's because we started together. I I have such an energy where I can't stop wanting to roast you, and it's out of nothing but love and, like, respect, but... Why does everyone say that? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's your trauma pattern. Uh... Uh, A lot of people have... So there's a show in Chicago called Roast Battle where they comedians ask to roast other comedians. Mm -hmm. You're familiar with it. Have you ever done it? I haven't. You know what's funny about me saying that about you is that I'm not usually... roast comic. I'm not either. Yeah, no. But apparently, I've been asked, people have been asking to roast me. That's fun. And I don't like that, because I'm like, I can't, I'll start crying. Yeah, I don't care for and it. And I don't like, I've gone to them, and I just feel like I'm in the back saying, oh, they're so mean to each other. Like, I, I can agree. never I mean, do that. I do comedy because I want to make people feel good, so why should I have to feel terrible yeah. or try to think of mean things to say and... I do like roasting my f- friends, but when you're on stage, sometimes you can't tell that they, they're they friends with each other. So I just feel like it's like bullying. Yeah. And, like and the it best doesn't make roast, me comfortable. Yeah. The best roasts, I think, are people that you love. But in general, that's just not my style. And I love it when it's done well. Like, I'm gen- genuinely Agreed. entertained it's by so a good funny. roast. But it's just not me. Uh, in fact, I got into comedy based on Greg Giraldo and watching his his roasts on Comedy Central. Like, I was like, this is so amazing. Yeah. And when I started, I kind of was trying to be like a mean comic, I think. <laughs> but now it's like, uh, I mean, we all, come on. I remember what you started with. You were telling oh jokes that were, I don't know. I remember like the first open mic I de- did. Uh, this was like back before I ever really 1972. started. 1972. Yeah. It was 1943. Uh, they just invented the microphone. I don't know the details. <laughs> That's not accurate at Anyway, all. anyway, don't look it up. But uh, <laughs> I remember somebody coming up to me and telling me like, you've got really great stage presence. You just need some material. And I was like, oh, no, I tried so hard. <laughs> like, uh, I had a similar comment at a club that passed me. And uh, the person who was uh, passing me said, you're so likable on stage, but, and then she said, but, and then I go, but my jokes aren't there. She's like, yeah. (laughs) I wonder if it was the same booker who used to be in the area who told me when I got passed, when I got passed, which means they pass you, which is like, you can work here. We'll give you money to tell jokes here. She said to me, I'll never forget. uh, It's, and again, I said, she said to me. It's so rare that a woman is likable up there. So just that likable wow. word makes me wonder. Yeah, you wouldn't believe I never I really got the same person. I never got hired there after that. Really, I think, uh, I, I think it's the same person. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's 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 something that uh, I think it's easy to to write, or, or I guess it's easier. The hard part on comedy is having stage presence for a lot of people. There are a lot of great writers. For stand up, though, the biggest part is. Timing and, yeah. and, and being on stage and and expressing yourself. I can tell you the last time I did a roast show, I think it was like, uh, I forget which one it was here, but I prepared so much for days, like trying to write any joke I could that was like going there, but not too mean. And I was cramming my notes before the show and the person I was roasting kicked my butt by with no material. They just made fun of me for trying so hard. Uh <laughs> 
So, like, that like, was wow. what I, I'm done you with. Tell she right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, that's mean. Oh, and, you need and... your notes, loser. You like, <laughs> like, yeah. That's like really, that's actually funny, but it's like, that's like what you do when you're not prepared. Well, they were psych- exactly. They were psyched out by me having so much material. It's Kyle that... Scanlon, probably. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just name dropping a mutual friend. Yeah. No. <laughs> so you have your, uh, you're back in Chicago now ish. Yeah. Uh, p- the last few years I've been on the road and one of the only women in the U.S. to be a full-time road comic slash circus hobo van lifer. and uh, Living in a van. Well, living out of the van, I would say. Uh, occasionally staying in the van, but usually staying in like comedy condos, hotels, friends all, right. all over the country. And yeah, nomad, but not always... Um, out, not a full camper either. So Got it. anyway, yeah. Uh, when people ask me where I'm from, it's usually like, "Oh, quick one word response." For me, it's more like, "I live in the moment," and they, <laughs> then they go away. So, it's like, "Oh, she's high." Yeah, like oh, that's enough. Uh, I don't uh, this is but going. you're you're here now for I, temporarily. Yes. In the words of Baba Ramdas, "I'm going to be here now." Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm here probably until summertime. Okay. Or I'm just. Good. Yeah, trying to figure I'm out my plans. I'm happy to have you back. I'm really happy to be here. It was unexpected, but it's um, nice. February 19th, Monday, you're at Zany's. <laughs> yes. Yes. Is this your first time headlining there? No, it's my okay. second time. The first time was so much fun. And it's yeah. Monday, and it's like right after Valentine's Day. And I feel like I'm the perfect either Valentine's delayed date or antithesis to Valentine's. <laughs> like sure. You can either have a good time at my show if, you're, if you've got somebody with you there romantically or if you like hate the idea. <laughs> I've it's got a win-win. A little, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, are you excited about it? Duh. Yeah, no, I'm That's super That's such pumped. a fun rum. It's the best. I've got my friend Gwen Sunkel from Indianapolis coming up to feature, and she's never gotten to play there, but she's one of the best comics down there. So anytime somebody gets their first time to perform at Zany's yeah. is like special. And so I'm really excited for her. And I've got a bunch of fun people coming. I've got all my merch, which there's no room for in that room. And <laughs> I still have uh, I, your mugs. I have multiple I we can say mugs. I can't say it. Yeah. But uh, I think you can. Well, whatever. They're it's great merch. Go to Valentine's Day. Yeah, it is a good. It has to gift. do with waking up. It holds any liquid. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a great. It's a great. Uh, it's a you have great merch, by the way. Thank you. Um, where can people find out more about you, your sh- your book, your merchandise, and most importantly, your show on Monday, February 19th at Zany's? Well, I'll tell you what. Here's the most direct. Is there one f- place like on the line or yeah, well, in the internet? Is there one place for any of us now? I, I feel know. like we're all scattered pretty evenly a bunch. 500 apps uh, is how it feels. Uh, there's two Twitters now. I'm on Twitter and Threads, Threads. and they're not. neither of them are Twitter now, no. uh, so I'm on them all. And Instagram, TikTok, uh, uh, Facebook. Just kidding. I'm not on Snapchat. I'm an adult, but I'm on <laughs> Facebook. Yeah. You know what? The best way to find me is actually look up Paul Farivar, and I'm one of his followers on everything. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm at Rena Calm on R-E-E, R-E-E-N-A. C A L M. C A L M. That's that's my name. I try to live up to it. Rena um, Calm. Yeah. <laughs> 
February February nineteenth, Monday night, seven p.m. It's going to be the best the best Monday show you could ever imagine for sure. If not the best, I don't know who else is there this month. But you know what else? I don't care because mm-hmm. it's going to be. I'm sorry if I'm still. I'm not there. Good. Care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be. I actually know one. I am, but that's fine. I'm really truly excited about this hour I'm doing. It's a very silly hour, and we're going to have a lot of fun. Please go get tickets to see my dear friend, Rena Calm, Monday, February 19th at Zanies. You can probably get tickets at Zanies.com, I believe. Zanies.com. The link is in my bio on everything. Yeah. And also, I will tell people to go check out your other special comedy. Yeah, Did I my do album. Right, Number one. Yes, you nailed it. Number one on Powell. iTunes. Uh, <laughs> And check out her book on Amazon, Once Upon a Time. We are out of time. Thank you, Rena, for coming on the show. Thank I you. hope everyone comes to your awesome show on February 19th. I'll Monday. find you if you don't. Just kidding. And Zany 